0: this morning, we're concluding our series called Tuned In, the Gospel According to Paul. The book of Acts records the spread of the early church, and the second half focuses mainly on Paul's ministry. Uh, Paul was instrumental in spreading the gospel, and we've been looking at how God's or how Paul presents the gospel in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to be looking at Acts 26 this morning. if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, you can start doing that now. But as we've been looking at Paul preach, Paul's preaching of the gospel, we've noticed that one he doesn't really present it the same way twice, but also he doesn't present it how we think it would normally be presented. For us, in presenting the gospel, we would say something like, make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, and your relationship with God will be restored, and in the afterlife, you have the assurance of heaven. In Paul's preaching, he really doesn't present the gospel this way. Uh, He doesn't follow that outline, not one time. And now the gospel, of course, it does not change, but the gospel does speak to each of us differently. Paul was tuned in to his listeners and the gospel has something particular to say to you in your present situation even this morning. Um, Part of the power of the gospel is its ability to speak to everyone. It resonates with all of us but it resonates with all of us differently. The gospel is tuned in to us and it has something particular to say to you again right now. Um, Paul shaped the gospel so his listeners could hear it. Trusting the Spirit was guiding him all the way, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Again, we are in Acts chapter 26. Our scripture reader this morning is Jay Gomer. I'm going to ask Jay to make his way on up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask you to please stand and face the center of the room. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Jay, whenever you are ready, please read from Acts chapter 26.
1: The Apostle Paul is speaking. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains."
0: Jay, thank you very much, you may be seated. The um, one time I was ever called for jury duty, I was probably 22, 23 years old, and I was living in Southern California, and it was during the part uh, where the jury was being selected, you know, I was part of the jury pool, and they were selecting us out of the pool to be a part of the jury, and I really thought I was gonna get out of serving on the jury. Um, because they had already selected 12 jurors and the first alternate, and they were down to the second alternate. And I'm like, man, my chances are pretty good. And sure enough, they called my name to be the second alternate. Um, during jury selection, as many of you know, they tend to interview each uh, potential juror. And you at least how they were doing it in this particular instance is you would introduce yourself, share a little bit about yourself. And one of the things that you were supposed to share is what you did for a living, what your job was. And I was a youth pastor at the time. And so I said, You know, my name's Chuck. I'm a, a youth pastor, and you know, I shared a few other things about me. But when the prosecuting attorney heard that I was a youth pastor, he stopped and he asked me, he says, Well, um, doesn't the Bible say, Do not judge? And I stopped because I really wasn't expecting that question. I was like, What's that all? I was really taken aback. Now, if I was on my game, if I would have my wits about me, I would have said something like, Yep. Bye, I'm out of here. See you later. <laughs> but I wasn't on my game. I was really nervous. I was taken aback by the question. And so I found myself trying to explain rather nervously why that verse would not keep me from fulfilling um, my duties as a juror. And as I got done, you know, clumsily kind of explaining that, uh, the press attorney said, Oh, sort of like, um, give to Caesars, what is Caesars? I'm like, well yeah but what's going on here you know it's like what are we what are we doing here this is a california courtroom and we're having a conversation about the bible i I didn't quite realize what was happening and um so we finished that part of the conversation and then he excused me as a potential juror so you know it all worked out it was great um but it was just weird having that bible conversation in a secular courtroom Um, Now Paul isn't in a courtroom here, but he is before secular authorities and he's having a conversation with secular authorities about scripture and faith. And the two secular authorities he's talking to, one is Festus, Um, he is a governor in the Judean region. Uh, His role was very similar to what maybe Pontius Pilate's role would have been. Um, And then you have this King Agrippa. And King Agrippa was part of something called the Herodian dynasty. He, he was actually King Agrippa II. His, um, he was the king of Judea, along with Festus as governor, but he was the son of King Agrippa I. King Agrippa I, you can read about in Acts chapter 12. Um, in Acts chapter 12, King Agrippa I Uh, plays a prominent role. He has the apostle James killed, one of the 12, the brother of John, son of Zebedee. And then he puts Peter in prison, probably with the intent of having him killed as well. And it's in Acts 12 that you read about the story of an angel coming and rescuing Peter out of prison. And then Acts 12 goes on to say that sometime later, King Agrippa I is delivering a public address and an angel of the Lord strikes him down. That is this King Agrippa that Paul is talking to. That's his dad. Now, King Agrippa II's great-grandfather was King Herod, Herod the Great. You are familiar with Herod the Great from Matthew chapter 2. He was the king during Jesus' birth. The Magi come looking for the king of the Jews. They go to King Herod asking where he might find him. And after the Magi leave, King Herod um, has all of the babies in the Bethlehem region killed. Um, that would be this Agrippa's, the one Paul is talking to, that this would be his great-grandfather. Now, if you take a look at the Herodian dynasty here, and I don't know how well you can see it, um, Herod the Great, who started it, is circled at the top, and he was born in 74 B.C., but his rule started in 37 B.C., and then King Agrippa II, the great-grandson, who we read about in this passage, he ruled until 100 AD. So for basically 140 years, the Herodians were major players in Judea. So in the background of the entire New Testament, there is always a Herodian who is, um, who is a king of the Judean region. Um, now, Agrippa II, unlike pretty much the rest of his family, seems to be more um, open to the church than anyone else in his family. Um, Paul uses all sorts of faith language when he's talking to Agrippa II. Um, If you look in your Bibles from Acts chapter 26, verses 19, and again, this is interesting stuff to say in a secular arena, where Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Or in verse 22, God has helped me to this very day. And later in verse 22, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Or in verse 23, where he speaks about the Messiah. It's not the kind of conversation you would expect in a secular arena. And Festus's reaction is the kind of reaction you would expect, where he says, Paul, you're crazy. You are insane. And But you'll notice King Agrippa really doesn't say anything. It seems to be he's just listening. And if you look at verses 25 and 26 of the passage, where Paul responds to Festus, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Paul knows that Agrippa is familiar with the Christian movement and that he seems to be more open to the Christian movement than either his father or great-grandfather was. And so Paul kind of challenges Agrippa And he says to him, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. And that puts Agrippa in a tough spot. Because if Agrippa says yes, then Paul would claim Jesus fulfills the prophets and call on Agrippa to believe right there on the spot, which would be really awkward. Um, If Agrippa says no then Agrippa would be in trouble with the Jews that he rules over, because the Jews do believe in the prophets. And for the king to say, no, I don't believe in that stuff, would put him in some political trouble. You see, Agrippa's value is power. And Paul, and like he knows that God loves to use things that are important to people to reach people, and so Paul kind of tries to leverage Agrippa's value of power and tries to leverage that to convince him to come to faith because he knows that Agrippa just can't come out and say, no, I don't believe, and there's a chance that part of Agrippa is open to this whole message, and so Paul puts Agrippa on the spot, and Agrippa responds, do you think that you can persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time, and Paul replies, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. In other words, how I would paraphrase what Paul says to Agrippa is, what will it take? What will it take for you to believe, Agrippa? Now, we don't know if Agrippa ever comes to faith. The story doesn't really tell us. But I still really like that question. That question, what will it take, is a great question for us, what will it take for you to believe? And if you already believe, what will it take for you to take the next step of faith that God is calling you to? You see, for some of us, what it's going to take, it's going to take God's provision. If you look in verse 22 of the passage this morning, where Paul says, God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to the small and great alike. Paul needed God's provision in order to make it to the point he was at. And because God provided, he was able to stand there and testify. But whether it was God providing for Paul or whether it was events like the Exodus in the Old Testament or any of Jesus' healings in the New Testament, sometimes we need God to come through for us to believe. And if God does come through for us, he's gonna come through for us in a way that actually impacts us, resonates with us, something that will mean something to us. Again, in the Exodus, the people were in slavery in Egypt. And how do you help people who are in slavery in Egypt? You deliver them out of it, which is what God does. Jesus in the New Testament, he um, comes across the blind and the deaf and the lame. And so he gives those people sight and hearing and the ability to walk. He meets the people where they're at. When I did youth ministry in Wisconsin, I got to know a guy um, in his 20s who was trying to qualify for the PGA Tour. Um, and some of you are going to wonder, after I tell this story, did he make it? I'm just going to tell you, no. Okay, so don't try to guess who it was. He didn't make the door. Um, but I would sometimes talk with him about faith. And he was kind of interested and kind of not interested about faith. And, um, but then something happened. He came up to me one week, and he was saying, you know, I was playing in a golf tournament this weekend. And um, I hit my ball in the rough, and I couldn't find it. And in the rules of that particular tournament, you have five minutes to find a lost ball. Otherwise, you've got to go back to your previous place and re-hit, take a penalty stroke. It's a significant penalty in golf. You don't want to have to do that. Um, and so he did something that he had never done on a golf course before, and he prayed. He prayed for God to help him find his lost golf ball. And sure enough, before the five-minute time limit uh, went by, he found his ball. He found it. And as he's telling me this story, his eyes are big and wide, and you can just see it on his face. This, what I would call a very simple event, really meant something to him. And he said after that, he said, after that, I really believe that God is real. See, God came through for him in a way that mattered to him. Something as simple as finding a lost ball in a golf tournament when you're trying to qualify for the PGA Tour. Sometimes you need God, we need God, to come through for us in a way that is significant to us. But for some of us, it's not that we need God's provision. Instead, what it's going to take is it's going to take God's deprivation. God's deprivation. It's not as fun as when God provides. But sometimes in order to come to faith or to take that next step of faith, we need to lose something. And Paul tells his conversion story to Festus and Agrippa, but he left out a detail that if you go back to Acts 9, you'll, you'll see. And it's Acts 9, verses 8 and 9, where it says Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. You see, Paul sees a vision of the risen Jesus but then he loses his own vision. And it's all part of God's way to call Paul. And when we lose something, it's hard and it hurts. But God is willing to put us through pain. And pain is never fun. And sometimes the pain... And loss is significant. All of you have gone through things, gone through significant loss, that if it were up to me, you wouldn't have gone through it. We've all lost jobs. We have failed at goals. Some of us have lost our ability to walk, to see, to talk, to hear. Some of us are fighting cancer. Some of us have lost marriages or other relationships. We have lost, we have had loved ones die. And every time we lose, it requires a step of faith. Every time. It requires a step of faith to believe that life is still good. It requires a step of faith to keep moving forward. It requires a step of faith to believe that God is still with us. And sometimes that step of faith will never come unless we lose and I never wish loss on anyone but sometimes that's what it will take for us to believe and then there are times that it will take even something more for us to believe something I'm going to call God's intervention a human intervention is when something is out of control in someone's life often it is some kind of addiction and at some point a group of loved ones will plan a meeting and confront the one whose life is out of control. And in the intervention, they will affirm their love and concern for the person, but they will tell them something radical needs to happen. Something radical needs to change in order for you to get your life back on track. Well, some of the things that God does, I would classify as an intervention. For example, with Paul, Paul's faith was out of control. He is feverishly arresting and persecuting Christians, and he's on his way to the city of Damascus with special permission to hunt down some more believers. And if you look in verses 14 and 16 of what he tells Agrippa, then this happens. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Now when Paul was persecuting Christians, he thought he was serving God. So God does an intervention so that Paul could get his faith back on track and actually serve God. And sometimes God does intervention in our lives. Our lives get turned upside down. And we may not even ever know why. Sort of like Job in the Old Testament. He lost everything and never really found out why. When our lives get turned upside down, faith becomes more necessary than ever. And it is in those moments that I see faith come alive in people. And I would never wish it on anyone, but God is with us when our lives are upside down. And the good news is whether it's when God provides, or deprives, or does an intervention, God is always at work in us. He is relentless in his pursuit of us. And God will do whatever it takes. God will do whatever it takes to reach us. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, have you really ever reflected or thought about what did it take for that to happen? What did it take for you to come to faith? And regardless of where you are in your faith journey, what will it take for you to take another step of faith? You ever think about that? What's it going to take? If God's calling me to do something, what would it take to get me to actually do it? Throughout this series, we have seen how the gospel has been tuned in differently with different people. As Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. What about you? How is the gospel tuned in to you, the good news of Jesus? Is it how Jesus restores you? Or is it that God is active in the world and your life? Or that in Christ, God reaches out to us? Or there's more to life than what you can see? Or that God will do whatever it takes? What resonates with you? We're going to have a time of worship. And during this time of worship, we're going to be watching three different videos. And the videos are of people from TFRC who share what it took for God to spark their faith. And during this time of worship, whether it's during the videos or during the singing, I want you to be reflecting on either how the gospel speaks to you in your current moment or what it will take for you to take the next step of faith. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the good news that regardless of what we do or what we think or what our attitude is at any given moment, at any given time, you are always relentlessly pursuing us. You are always active in our lives, always appealing to us, doing whatever it takes uh, to reach us, to reach our hearts, to get us to listen, to get us to follow. Lord, I would ask that in these next few moments that our hearts would be opened up and your spirit would speak to us and show us what it is you're calling us to do next. And then Lord, in whatever way you need to, encourage us to take that step. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Receive God's blessing